Blog Talk Radio. Grace Network. This is Dr. Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. Today we are talking about the marriage supper prophecy in the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation includes, by my analysis, 12 statements of prophecy. John the Revelator was called up to heaven as reported in Revelation chapter 4. When he was called up to heaven, An angel of the Lord showed him moving pictures with sound. Today, we call moving pictures with sound movies. So he saw visions, moving pictures with sound, but these were not visions that he caused himself to have. These were external visions, moving pictures with sound, movies shown to him by an angel of the Lord, assigned to share future realities with him so that he could share them with us. Now, if an angel of the Lord showed you or me a movie today, we could perhaps take out our cell phone or uh, a camera or a video recording device, And we could record, we could capture the moving pictures with sound. We could capture what was being shown to us because it would be an external vision that is real, that is happening in real time. When John the Revelator was shown moving pictures with sound, He didn't have the benefit of the technology we have in 2023, so he used the technology that existed at that time. He recorded with a writing utensil on perhaps parchment or paper. He recorded to the best of his ability exactly what he was shown. And what he was shown was not a fictional account. Today when we go to see movies, sometimes we see documentaries, but usually we're watching uh, something that's fiction, something for entertainment purposes. But the Battle of Armageddon was shown to John the Revelator not for entertainment purposes, but for knowledge purposes. Truth seeker and friend, let us get into the book of Revelation. Let's hear today the marriage supper prophecy, which is the definitive statement of prophecy. It's God's documentary on the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon is mentioned several places in the Bible, many places, in fact. The book of Ezekiel mentions the Battle of Armageddon. Chapter 14, at the end of the earth reaped prophecy, mentions the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, Chapter 
11 at the end, at the end of the seven trumpets prophecy, the Battle of Armageddon is mentioned. But it's one thing to hear a mention of an important event. It's another thing to get essentially a blow-by-blow account of what happens at that event. So by my analysis, my perception is that the primary focus of the marriage supper prophecy is the battle of armageddon so let us go there together i want to share from the book of revelation revelation chapter 19 verses 6 to 21 the marriage supper prophecy and here are some of the key topics that we're going to discuss so i want to share first briefly some of the key words phrases and numbers that we will hear in this prophecy then we're going to go straight to the word of god so we can hear the marriage supper prophecy and then we'll go into analysis and discussion of the marriage supper prophecy now i invite you and encourage you to share your comments to pose a question, to present a prayer request during the live Internet broadcast. You can do that by using our PGN text number. It's 1-214-505-8719. If you have a comment about the book of Revelation or if you have a question, you can text 24-7. You can text at any time your question or comment about the book of Revelation to our PGN text number 1214-505-8719. During this live Internet broadcast, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, that's 10 a.m. Central Time. During the live Internet broadcast on Thursdays and Sundays, Sundays at 12 noon Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, you can call in to interact with me, your PGN host, the Book of Revelation research scientist. So you can come on the air live if you want to talk about the Book of Revelation, uh, if you want to present your prayer request or pose a question. Our PGN phone number is one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. That's one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. Okay, so. Let's talk about what are these key topics that we're going to hear very shortly when we hear the marriage supper prophecy, which begins with verse 6 of Revelation chapter 19 and ends with verse 21. So some of the key topics are the Antichrist, the false prophet, the armies of heaven, the battle of Armageddon. Fierce wrath of God, juice flowing from a wine press, great banquet God has prepared, and the beast. So that's not an exhaustive list. You can go to blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic to see the basic study notes. But these are some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Let us go now to the marriage supper prophecy. Here it is, reading from the book of Revelation, the marriage, pro- the marriage supper prophecy, John the Revelator says, Then I heard again 
what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. That Truth Seeker and Friend is the Marriage Supper prophecy in its entirety. We're going to go verse by verse to discuss and analyze. So this is Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation from start to finish. And my assignment is to unlock 
secrets in the book of Revelation by the grace of God for the edification of his church. Every truth seeker, every truth seeker, every truth seeker should know the prophecies in the book of Revelation because the word of God says every prophecy in the book of Revelation is true and genuine and sure to come to pass. So today we're analyzing and discussing one of 12 statements of prophecy, if you will, one of 12 documentaries of soon coming future events on this present earth and in present heaven. So let us get to it right now, starting with verse 21. We're going to start at verse 21 and then make our way up to the very first verse. So the end of the marriage supper prophecy, the definitive prophecy on the battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation, it says, verse 21 of chapter 19, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. This verse is communicating that the entire army of the Antichrist, along with the false prophet and the kings of the world, 100% of the army will experience death. That death is due to the fact that they are in a war. We hear earlier that it's a war waged in righteousness. It's not just any war. It's the war to end all wars. It's the Battle of Armageddon. Now, at this battle, again, we're told their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. The one riding the white horse is Jesus Christ. How do we know this? Earlier in the prophecy, we're told that the one riding the white horse has the title on his thigh that says, uh, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So who is the one who is the king of all kings and Lord of all lords? Is Jesus Christ. We're also told, that his eyes were like flames of fire, and, his, and on his head were many crowns. This is the same description that John the Revelator gives of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. So the one riding the white horse is the person who uses as a weapon at the Battle of Armageddon a sharp sword. So the first time that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he came as the Lamb of God. But the second time he comes, and the book of Revelation is all about his second coming, the revealing of Jesus Christ as the King of all kings, as the Lord of all lords to the entire world. The second time that he comes, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to wage a war in righteousness. Now, you might say, why on earth would a God of love engage in war? Well, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we're told, and of the increase of his government, and his 
peace, there shall be no end. What does that mean? It means that when he establishes his government, after he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, we will finally have peace on this earth. There will never, ever, ever be another war on this present earth or on the new earth to come after the battle of Armageddon. Let's continue in verse 21. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse that's communicating to us that Jesus Christ, he is going to be the person, God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ will be utilizing a weapon to take out the opposing side, those who are the enemies of God, those who are in the armies of the Antichrist and the false prophet. Finally, verse 21 says, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Now, you might say, this sounds very gruesome. And indeed it is. War is gruesome. Uh, No sane person is excited about war. But it is exciting to know that true peace is coming. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Without Jesus Christ, there is no peace. And so if you are a person who wants peace, and I believe that you are, and certainly uh, you are and I am, we ought to get excited about the Battle of Armageddon because once it is fought and won, we will finally have peace on this present earth. Now, it says, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. This is not a metaphor. This is a reality. God's cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon is to have vultures consume the carnage. Now, at the end of Revelation chapter 14, the earth reap prophecy, we hear that the carnage the juice flowing from the wine press is going to include 180 miles of blood. Now, again, we need to know these secrets. When the Great Tribulation comes, it's going to be a time of great distress like the world has never seen before. But knowing that the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, will be followed by the wrath of God and culminate with the Battle of Armageddon brings hope to the truth seeker and the believer. So once the battle of Armageddon is fought and won, at the very end we're told the vultures gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Whose dead bodies? All of the bodies of those who chose to participate in the armies led by the Antichrist and the kings of the world and the false prophet. So 100% of those individuals in the opposing, uh, who are with the opposing army, those individuals will lose their lives. Indeed, uh, war is a gruesome thing. Now let's go to verse 20. Immediately prior to the army being killed, what happens? Verse 20 says, 
And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Now, who was the beast? In the book of Revelation, the beast always refers to either the Antichrist or the false prophet or Satan. We have to look at other words in the verse to determine which part of the unholy trinity is being specifically referred to. For example, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy at the end of chapter 13, it refers to another beast talking about the false prophet. And earlier in chapter 13, at the beginning, it's talking about the Antichrist. In Revelation chapter 17, there's a reference to the scarlet beast talking about the Antichrist. And earlier, at the beginning of Revelation chapter 17, it talks about the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit, referring to Satan. But right here, in the marriage supper prophecy, the beast refers to the Antichrist. We're going to hear proof in a second that this refers to the Antichrist. It says, and the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. So this is telling us that at the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be captured. And talking about the false prophet, it says, And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. So we know from Revelation chapter 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy, that the statue is a statue of the Antichrist. One of the six actions of the false prophet during the Great Tribulation, according to the 666 Antichrist prophecy, is that he will commission a statue of the Antichrist. He and the Antichrist will work in tandem during the three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation period to accomplish the agenda of the dragon, to forward the agenda of the one world government, the new world order. So we see here clearly that the beast is referring to the Antichrist because it refers to the mark of the beast, that's the mark of the Antichrist, and it refers to the statue a statue is of uh, Satan is not made. A statue of the false prophet is not made. A statue is made of the Antichrist. So this is clearly telling us that who specifically will be captured at the Battle of Armageddon by Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven, those individuals are the Antichrist and the false prophet. Then we're told at the end of verse 20, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, when you look at the book of Daniel, there's some discussion of books being opened and there being a court proceeding in heaven, and at this proceeding the Antichrist boasts loudly. Now, God is a just God. No one is sentenced to eternal damnation without having his or her case heard. 
I don't believe that there's an exception here for the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's not mentioned here in the book of Revelation, but in Daniel. In the book of Daniel, a description is given about that period of time where the books are opened and the case of the Antichrist uh, is presented and uh, his demeanor and response during uh, those proceedings. But here's the take-home point and what we're told here in the book of Revelation. Ultimately, ultimately what happens is that the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So they go to Gehenna. Gehenna is a place. A fiery lake is not a metaphor for mental torment. It's a report of the reality of a physical location. The present earth is a physical location. The fiery lake of burning sulfur is a location. Uh, It is known as Gehenna. And ultimately, every enemy of God will be destroyed. Every enemy of God will be destroyed. God has five enemies in the order of their destruction as reported in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, the children of Satan, and finally death itself. So we see here the first two enemies of God to be destroyed. And God's strategy for destroying his enemies is to send them to the fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever, being separated permanently from God, being separated permanently from the creator of this earth and the heavens. So the first two enemies of God who are destroyed, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now let's continue. What happened immediately prior to the destruction of the Antichrist and false prophet? What happened immediately prior to them being captured? Verse 19 says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. This verse is so important. Revelation chapter 19, verse 19 On this present earth, the Battle of Armageddon will be fought in a specific location. The Battle of Armageddon is not fought in heaven. It's not fought in hell. It's fought on this present earth. It's not fought in uh, Washington, D.C. It's not fought in Dallas, Texas. It's not fought in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. It's not fought in Mexico City. It's going to be fought in Israel. It's going to be fought specifically in Israel at the location on the appointed day, at the appointed hour. The armies of the beast and the kings of the world will be there. We learn in Revelation chapter 16 in the seven plagues prophecy that the Euphrates River will be dried up supernaturally. The sixth vow will be poured out. The sixth and final uh, plague 
the sixth vial will be poured out, the sixth final plague is the supernatural drying up the Euphrates River and the armies of the world, they're going to travel that path. God will have that dry up supernaturally so that they will come precisely and specifically to the exact location where Jesus Christ will fight the battle of Armageddon, where he will fight and win it. Now here in Revelation 19, we have a picture. They have already traveled the path of the Euphrates River. The armies are there. So on one side, it's just like the Super Bowl. But instead of it being for entertainment purposes, it's for eternal purposes. Let me say that again. Instead of it being for entertainment purposes, it's for eternal purposes. On one side in Jerusalem will be Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. And on the other side, the Antichrist and the kings of the world and their armies. Now, we know from Revelation chapter 13 that a ten-nation alliance will dominate economic and political affairs. They will yield their power and sovereignty to the Antichrist. We know that from the purple and scarlet prophecy, Revelation chapter 17, 18, and verses 1 to 5 of 19. So that's how we arrive at the Antichrist leading the armies, not one army, but armies. So we see in Ezekiel, we see in Isaiah, some of the nations that will uh, send their armies. On one side, Team Jesus and his armies, the armies of heaven. On the other side, Team Satan, led by the Antichrist and his armies. So if there's any doubt, if there's any doubt in our minds, we can go to verse 19, and it's clear that this is not a metaphor. This is not uh, a dream. This is a report, a report of a future reality, the reality that the Battle of Armageddon is going to happen. It's going to be fought and won by Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. Now let's continue. Verse 18 says, Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now this sounds very gruesome. I've heard people say uh, many times, that the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, is when Jesus is going to eat with uh, believers and we're going to have a steak dinner or we're going to have pot roast or we're going to have steak. You you know, the list goes on and on. I even saw on YouTube one person, uh, he reported that, He had a vision, and in the vision, he was at the wedding feast of the Lamb, and Jesus Christ had on an outfit, and he was serving everybody. And listen, I don't have any doubt that it's 100% possible that one day, as believers, we will dine with Jesus Christ. But this prophecy, the marriage supper prophecy, is talking about, quote, 
eating the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors. Now, is Jesus Christ a cannibal? Certainly not. Is Jesus Christ giving an instruction by the angel of the Lord for believers to eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors? Certainly not. It's no way possible that this great banquet where the eating, the meal itself is the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, it's no way possible that this is for the bride of Christ. Now let's go to verse 17, and we'll hear exactly who, who, was, who was assigned to eat the flesh of kings. Verse 17 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures. Shouting to the vultures. Let's hear it one more time. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. This verse is communicating that prior to the commencement of the Battle of Armageddon, an instruction is given. So God has a plan and a strategy to fight and win the Battle of Armageddon, and God has a plan and strategy to clean up the carnage from the Battle of Armageddon. In other words, he already knows that he's going to fight and win the war to end all wars, and he has created a committee to handle the cleanup. The vultures are the cleanup committee. It's not you and me, truth seeker and friend. We are not instructed to eat the flesh of kings. No, it says here, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky, come gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. Indeed, there will be hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, in the armies of the Antichrist, and we heard in verse 21 that 100%, 100% of the individuals in the armies will be killed by the sword of Jesus Christ. And so when they experience the first death, because they have allied with the enemy of God, the Antichrist, when they experience the first death, that carnage will include 180 miles of blood. We hear that in Revelation chapter 14. So the cleanup committee includes the vultures. And indeed we're told that it's, quote, great banquet, uh, the great banquet God has prepared. So the wedding feast of the Lamb is a great banquet God has prepared. That's a direct quote from the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse 17. The great banquet God has prepared 
is for the vultures. It's not for the bride of Christ. Okay. Now let's go to verse 16. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. We know who that is. Who's the King of all kings and Lord of all lords? It's Jesus Christ. It's the Alpha and the Omega. It's the first to rise from the dead, the first person to rise from the dead. Now, verse 15 says, talking about the same person, from his mouth, talking about Jesus Christ, came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. A couple of key points, and then let's talk about uh, what is being communicated here. A couple of key points. The sharp sword is not a metaphor. It's an actual weapon referred to multiple times in the book of Revelation The sharp sword is a weapon that Jesus Christ will use to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. That's his weapon of choice. Now, if you were the leader of the armies of heaven, heaven, maybe you would use a different kind of weapon, right? He's choosing to use a sharp sword. Now, we're told here in verse 15 to strike down the nations with an S. Now, this is not talking about 100% of the nations. This is not talking about every nation. But there will be those nations, 10 specifically, there will be nations that choose to come against the will, the plan, the purposes of God. They will align themselves with the Antichrist. In fact, there are ten nations that will yield their power and sovereignty to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is described in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, chapter 17. The Antichrist will emerge as a leader of one of these ten nations that dominates economic and political affairs during the Great Tribulation. Three leaders will be put down. He will emerge as the leader of one of these nations in the Ten Nation Alliance. These nations will be struck down. So they will enjoy great prosperity for the, for the duration of the Great Tribulation. We hear that in the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy. However, however, The wrath of Satan, the great tribulation, is followed by the wrath of God, which culminates with the battle of Armageddon. So we hear from his mouth, talking about Jesus Christ, came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. So these are those nations who have promoted the one world religion. Those nations who have promoted worshiping the Antichrist and his statue, those nations whose leaders take the mark of the beast and tell their people to take the mark of the beast. 
These nations will be standing in direct opposition to the will of God, the plans of God, and the purposes of God. And as such, when the day of the Battle of Armageddon arrives, Jesus Christ will strike down the nations. He will put down the governments of men and establish the government of Jesus Christ. He will establish the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 9 says, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Now, that's not talking about his government in heaven or a government uh, below the earth. It's talking about a government on this present earth that you and I dwell in and on today. Now, when is it going to happen? He died on the cross more than 2,000 years ago. So when is it going to happen? When will we have the government of God on this earth? It happens immediately, immediately after the battle of Armageddon is fought and won. So this prophecy is very important because when this battle happens, it's the war to end all wars, and it's followed by the commencement, the beginning of peace, true peace, because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Now, it says here in verse 15, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. It doesn't say he will play with the nations. He will visit the nations. He will uh, preach to the nations. It says he will rule them, talking about the nations, with an iron rod. So not only will Jesus Christ establish his government on this earth, but it will be the government. It will be the last government, an enduring government, a forever government. Now remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel chapter 2, he had a God dream, and God showed him the five one-world governments that would exist. Now, in our lifetimes, we've never seen a one-world government. Hasn't happened in our lifetime. But the fifth and final one-world government that exists before the government of Jesus Christ, it is soon coming. So it says he will rule them with an iron rod. So Jesus Christ, after the battle of Armageddon, is going to rule the nations as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will have an iron rod. Now this, my best guess is the iron rod is some type of incredible weapon, right? doesn't say an iron tank, although perhaps it's a tank. doesn't say an iron gun says an iron rod. Exactly what the iron rod is is unclear, but it suggests that it's a weapon. Then it says, he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Let's unlock this secret. This is very important. The Great Tribulation is exactly 1,260 days. You say, research scientists, how do we know that? Revelation chapter 12, the 1,260 days prophecy. The seven trumpets prophecy tells us it's for a time, times in half a time. That's three and a half years. Revelation chapter 13 tells us it's 42 months. 
So 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years is 1,260 days. The wrath of Satan is the great tribulation. It's a time of great distress for those who are team Jesus. The wrath of God is a time of great distress for those who are team Satan. So first we have great distress for those who are team Jesus. I'm sorry, those who are team Satan. But the great tribulation is followed by the wrath of God. So right here in verse 15 it says, He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. Earlier I shared that the culmination of the wrath of God is the battle of Armageddon. Now we're told here like juice flowing from a wine press. Friend and truth seeker, wine press refers to the battle of Armageddon specifically. Every place in the book of Revelation where it says wine press, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 14, every place is referring to the battle of Armageddon. It is used, winepress, as a metaphor for the reality that Jesus Christ is going to squeeze. He's going to squeeze the life out of 100% of those in the enemy armies and their juice their blood, unfortunately, is going to flow. And it's going to flow, it says here, like juice flowing from a wine press. Revelation chapter 14 tells us uh, that, that it flows 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Okay, so the fierce wrath of God includes the seven final plagues, and it culminates with the Battle of Armageddon, which is the final activity that precedes peace on this present earth. Now let's go to verse 14. It says, The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now what is this talking about? Where are the armies of heaven today? Are they... Are they in Quantico? So I live in uh, the DMV, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Are the armies of heaven in Quantico? No. Are they in Johannesburg? No. Are they in London? No. The armies of heaven are in a physical location, present heaven. Immediately prior to the Battle of Armageddon, the armies of heaven will leave that location, which is somewhere above this present earth, they will leave that location and they will travel, they will travel to this present earth. And it says, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. So they have their they have their outfit and they have their mode of transportation. So when you're in an army you're assigned a uniform. So whether you're in uh, the United States Air Force or uh, if you're in uh, the Army or you're in the Marines, if you're in the Army for any nation, you're assigned a uniform. So the armies of heaven are in a uniform. What are they wearing? It says the finest of pure white linen, and their mode of transportation will be 
horses, and those horses will be white. Let's hear verse 13. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. So the individuals in the armies, they're wearing white linen. Jesus, we're told, is wearing a robe dipped in blood. And we're told that his title is the word of God. Now, some people have the title president or prime minister or, uh, you know, talking about people in senior positions of leadership. Well, his title is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. God manifest in the flesh is Jesus Christ. And so his title, we're told, his title was the word of God. Now, verse 12 says, his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. So in addition to wearing a robe dipped in blood, coming with his weapon, which is a sharp two-edged sword, uh, on his head he will have many crowns. Now how exactly those crowns are going to be arranged on his head, we're not told but we're told that he will wear many crowns. So if you watch the recent installation of King Charles as king, uh, he wore a crown, a singular crown. Queen Elizabeth wore a singular crown. But Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, will wear multiple crowns. In fact, it says many crowns. Let's go to verse 11. So verse 11 is the beginning of describing uh, what is happening. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. So this is telling us that before the Battle of Armageddon begins, on this present earth, some activities are happening in heaven. Specifically, in heaven, Jesus Christ will be there where he currently resides. We're told that he is in heaven today, Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 4. Jesus Christ is in present heaven where he sits uh, at the right hand of God the Father on a throne. Now, prior to the Battle of Armageddon, he will be in heaven, and he gets ready for a war. So he gets in his vehicle, right? So if you were getting ready to go to war, maybe you get in a leopard tank. Germany creates that amazing tank, the leopard. Um, maybe you get in a Humvee. Maybe you get in a helicopter or you get in a, an aircraft, some type of airplane. Jesus Christ is there in heaven with his vehicle that he will use to travel to this present earth and to travel to the site of the Battle of Armageddon. So John the Revelator is shown Jesus Christ getting ready. So he's at 
the location where he presently lives right now, that's in heaven, but he's standing on a white horse. And it says, telling us more about Jesus, it says its rider, the rider of the white horse, talking about Jesus Christ, was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now, Jesus Christ is always faithful and true. It says he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now, when will he wage this righteous war? He's waging it in this prophecy. So he's about to wage it. In verse 11, it's giving us a picture of the moments, the minutes prior to him leaving present heaven to come to this present earth. Okay, now let us go to verse 10. John the Revelator says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. So the angel of the Lord who's showing John the Revelator this particular documentary this marriage supper documentary, the angel says, listen, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. In other words, I'm showing you this documentary for the purposes of witnessing for Jesus. So don't worship me. Worship only God. And in verse 9, It says, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now, this is very important. It says, the wedding feast of the Lamb. So later, and we heard already, the wedding feast of the Lamb is also referred to as the great banquet of God. So the wedding feast of the Lamb is the great banquet of God, and it's prepared for the cleanup committee assigned to the Battle of Armageddon, and the cleanup committee is comprised of vultures. So the wedding feast of the Lamb is the great banquet God has prepared. And what does the banquet include? It includes dead bodies. We are not instructed to consume dead bodies the vultures are instructed to do that now let's hear verse 8 she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of god's holy people well who's she that's the bride of christ every member of the royal race those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life prior to the battle of armageddon is the first resurrection the great tribulation the wrath of satan is followed by the first resurrection which is followed by the wrath of god which culminates with the battle of armageddon so she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear who's that talking about the saints Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will have an outfit 
for this occasion, and it's an outfit of pure white linen. Let's go to verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. So we know that the bride is the church. The bride is the church. The wedding feast happens after the wedding. What's the wedding? The wedding is the first resurrection, when Jesus gets his forever family in the flesh. When every believer, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, every believer will transition from mortality to immortality. Every believer will put on an incorruptible, peak performance body, a body that will never, ever die. Now, when we put on our peak performance, incorruptible, immortal bodies will be in it forever on this present earth and on the new earth to come. So the wedding feast happens after the wedding. The battle of Armageddon happens after the wrath of God, which happens after the first resurrection. And this prophecy begins with, And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. So why does it say, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns? Because he reigns immediately when he stands on Mount Zion and he fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon. His government is established at that moment. So when he leaves heaven and he arrives on this earth for the purposes of fighting the battle of Armageddon, he is already reigning because he will fight and win that war waged in righteousness. So, friend and truth seeker, I hope that this has been a blessing for you. I encourage you and invite you to be with me and with us with continued discussion and analysis of the Marriage Supper Prophecy next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 12 noon Texas Time. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you, according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. Until next time, friends.